Hello, everybody. You are tuned into the Walk Off Podcast. As usual, I'm Justin, your host here. I'm joined today with uh, Leroy and Jared here. How are you boys doing today? Doing good, doing good. Uh, baseball, beautiful baseball every day. It's, it's a wonderful time of year. That's right. We're a few weeks in now. I'm super excited. Jackie Robinson Day was the other day, and we're about to talk about that right now in the Walk Off. Justin, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me back on. I'm ready to go. As always, yeah, we're we're happy. Baseball's back. Um, we're about almost two weeks into the season, which if this was last year, we'd be already a quarter of the way through. So luckily, uh, you know, we're here in marathon again and not sprint. So we're we're back to normal. But uh we're gonna kick off here. This is always the big weekend in baseball. This uh right by Jackie Robinson Day. Is anyone that watches baseball knows as you watch these games yesterday, you see every play wearing 42. Um, this was, you know, a thing from back in Jackie Robinson's time when a couple teammates had said, you know, one day we're all going to wear 42 and no one will be able to tell us apart. You know, as Jackie Robinson was the first to break that color barrier in the MLB, as we all know, he's one of the most famous sports icons for that reason. But um, somehow, no, if we really get talked about a lot is the impact that he makes. And I think a cool thing in today's MLB with the age of social media is you, you hear a lot more from players just talking, you know, as themselves. And all these players that constantly go back and talk about Jackie Robinson and why they're able to do what they're doing because of him, you know, still today in 2021, I think is pretty cool. So Jared, I want to know what you think when you hear the name Jackie Robinson and Jackie Robinson day, what do you, what do you think? Ooh, Jackie Robinson day. I think of unity, uh, courage, uh, bravery, just all the things Jackie had as a person and a player, you know, he, he did do something we thought we never would have done at the time. And that was break the color barrier uh, into baseball. And, and during that time, you know, it was, it was rough. Segregation was high, uh, man. He, he was getting all, called all sorts of nasty and vile things uh, while playing on the field and outside of the ballpark. So for him to have the courage to do this really showed uh, his character and, and who he was as a person. And I think the legacy of him will live on forever because now we're seeing it. Uh, as we celebrate every April 15th, Jackie Robinson Day around the league, we all wear 42 uh, in honor of him. And it's kind of uh, interesting because I was hearing, uh, we were watching the Orioles game uh, and we were we were listening and Kevin Brown said, I, I can't tell who that is because we're all wearing number 42. Well, that's the point, right? That was the point. Exactly. Uh, made by Pee Wee Reese, you know, maybe one day we'll all wear 42 so they can't tell us apart, right? So that's that's awesome to see. It's awesome to read all the letters for the African-American players around the league and how much Jackie meant to them. It was a super special day. One that is my, one of my favorites in baseball. And I hope that we continue to celebrate his legacy uh, for the rest of our times here on earth. Uh, Leroy, what do you think? Oh man, there's just something about seeing that 42 all over the field. When you turn on the TV on Jackie Robinson day, um, a couple of things that come to mind when I think about Jackie Robinson, first of all, you know, I was a teacher for many years and, and I taught fourth grade and every year around this time we did a, uh, we read a story for the week and we studied uh, Jackie Robinson. And it, it, it's really surprising how many young kids, these are nine and 10 year old kids that, that just don't know the significance of what Jackie Robinson accomplished. Um, so, so that, that, always hold a special place in my heart just because of that, because I was able to teach someone 
about mm-hmm. the significance of Jackie Robinson. And then, you know, it's interesting this, uh, this past week, um, someone actually taught me a little bit. I, I went camping. I think I filled you guys, told you guys I'd, I'd go camping and I just happened to be camping next to a family who had a grandfather come and visit <clears throat> and the grandfather, uh, uh, and I just hit it off, maybe because I'm an old man myself, uh, as you guys like to say. But uh, the grandfather and I just hit it off, and we ended up over the course of the of the two to three days that we were there, spending probably three hours talking. And uh, one of the d- discussion points that that we had was Jackie Robinson, and th- this gentleman um, was born uh, about five years before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. So he was about five uh, when this happened. Um, and he lived, he was an African-American gentleman living in Louisville, Kentucky in 1947. And, and he was just, just kind of filling me in firsthand account of the significance of it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've learned over the years that if a, an elderly person wants to tell you stories, you pull up a chair, you open a beer and you mm-hmm. just listen. And, uh, it was just so cool hearing, uh, this gentleman talk about this, um, just just so cool. But, you know, I've got a lot of things that I like to talk about when it comes to Jackie Robinson, because, you know, we, we know the significance of what he did, uh, as far as uh, socially, um, as far as, you know, nationwide, community wide, sometimes what gets lost is his his play and just how good he was. Right. And uh, when you look at the stats of Jackie Robinson, they're absolutely phenomenal. And then we realized that he didn't even play baseball between the ages of 21 and 26 because he was in the military. So everything he did was, you know, late prime and later. And, and that's just absolutely insane. Things like stealing home 19 times in his career you know, in that short amount of time, um, you, you know, in the, the first year he, he played, Jackie Robinson laid down 46 bunts and 42 of those bunts went for base hits or successful sacrifices. Absolutely insane. And then, you know, so his accomplishments on the baseball field, uh, his accomplishments uh, as a pioneer are in baseball, you know, we celebrate, but then when you read a little bit deeper about him, you, you know, you realize that, that his accomplishments go beyond the baseball field. Um, after retirement, he became vice president of a, of a corporation called chock full of nuts. It's a coffee, coffee company. And, uh, when he did that, he became the first black vice president of a major corporation in the country. And then in 1965, he became the nation's first black baseball announcer. So Jackie Robinson's uh, accomplishments and feats didn't just stop when he stopped playing baseball. Uh, they carried on throughout his life. And it just, it just goes to show you what, what, special, what, what type of special person he was. So um, outside of Jackie Robinson and his accomplishments, uh, this, this time of year and this day always kind of brings me back uh, to, to thinking about also uh, just the... Uh, the, the problem baseball has in attracting youth in attracting uh, people of color. Um, and then, you know, you realize that, you know, obviously when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, the league was, you know, basically a hundred percent white. And by 1970 or 1981, uh, the league had become uh, only 70% white and 18.7% black, which was great you know, progress at that time. But since then, we've just gone backwards. And the number of African Americans playing Major League Baseball has steadily declined 
since 1981. Um, and by 2001, it was down to 12.1%. And uh, today, it's just a touch over 6%. Um, and, you know, 32 major league cl clubs, we have two uh, African American managers. Uh, so, um, you know, Jackie Robinson has done a lot for baseball and a lot for society, but I think Major League Baseball in and of itself and baseball in general from youth leagues through high school, through college and into the major leagues has a lot of work uh, when it comes to attracting uh, people of color and specifically African-Americans. Yeah, you make a good point about like MLB right now. And um, that's kind of the point I wanted to make. Because when you look back at that time when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier and that's such a big deal, this and that. But then you look at just the state of, uh, I guess you could say, society right now. But baseball in itself, that's the, the beautiful thing about Jackie Robinson Day is for that one day, all these players are the same, you know. And again, like Jared said, that is the point. But you get this one day where everyone is the same. You're just hearing about this guy. There's, you know, you, you forget about the animosities between all these other players. And again, I, th I do think that is part of the point, especially in today when we're seeing a lot of this hatred going on, especially towards the, you know, the Asian community. There was just this scandal last week with the Cleveland Indians infielder, what was the name, Yu Chang, I believe, it's getting all the racial, you know, hate and even death threats for, for a throwing error, you know, which is insane to me. And I think this Jackie Robinson day in, in particular, like makes you sit back and think about, you know, where we are and all that. And again, Louis, you also make a very good point about his play on the field. I mean, that steal home in the world series, you, there is not a manager in the MLB today that would even ever consider letting a player do that, let alone the player doing that, you know? So I've just always thought things like that were really cool because the reason he's able to be so influential, you know, also is because he had that play on the field, you know, not many players, you know, as great as a speaker or people they can be, um, if their play on the field isn't that great, you know, their influence doesn't really follow. And I think that's a big thing to look at Jobby, Jackie Robinson about it. Also, to him, wasn't about breaking the color barrier, being the first to do this. Man, just wanted to play baseball. You know, and I think that's kind of the essence, the essence of it all in itself. Before we, uh, we move on here, we're going to go to a new segment, but I want to see if either of you two any of Last thoughts on Jackie Robinson and Jackie Robinson days where we're getting through that. Yeah, I just want to make one more point. Like 42 is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and in the movie, Chadwick Boseman, who played Jackie, uh, one of the famous lines in there, he says, you give me a bat and a ball and I'll give you my mm -hmm. 100. And I think that's what Jackie really wanted to do. He just wanted to be like everybody else and play this game that we all love. You know, it was it was just a special moment, special player, Hall of Fame, no doubt, one of the greatest to ever do it. Yeah. So Jared here actually has a new segment for us. We're going to move over to here. This is called a Hall of Fame or not. Nah. So what we'll do here is Jared's going to name off a couple players here. He's got five of them on the list. And uh, the three of us are going to go through and, you know, see what we think about the if they are Hall of Fame or not. So, Jared, how about you take us away with that? Yeah, thanks, Justin. Uh, we, we had such a great reaction to Factor Cap last week that we need to start introducing some more new and fun, fun interactive segments here on the show. And I love hosting these because I get to see what my guys think about certain things around the league. So like Justin said, we're going to give five players here and Justin and Leroy are going to tell you whether they think those guys are worthy of being in the Hall of Fame or not. And I just want to point out two of these players have already 
made it past the ballot and they are off the ballot now, but we're going to see if they can go back and possibly get in with the players vote um, and, and just see if we think they should have been Hall of Famers the first time. So with that being said, I'm going to start with Leroy here, Leroy, and then Justin will answer for the same player afterward. Leroy, your player to start us off here on Hall of Famer now is Kenny Lofton, a Hall of Famer. Yeah, so, you know, before we even get started here, full disclosure, um, I'm, I'm a firm believer that the Hall of Fame is, uh, is a Hall of Greatness and that, uh, unfortunately, uh, there are many uh, folks in the Hall of Fame that don't necessarily belong. So, you know, if I'm a voter and I'm not, um, if I'm a voter, my standards are very high. Right. So, you know, we've got guys that, that you're going to talk about that are um, kind of borderline. So if it's if it's purely Leroy's decision, the answer is probably going to be no on most, if not all of them. However, I'm going to frame this uh, conversation with uh, what has been generally accepted as Hall of Fame material. Right. Um, so, you know, in my mind, the Hall of Fame is kind of broken into like three categories of players. There's your all time greats that we all know, love. Uh, there's no uh, there's no question, no doubt that these guys are the hall of what's uh, of, of what's the best of baseball. Jackie Robinson being one of them. Um, and then there are guys that are in the Hall of Fame right now that are that that were just really good for a long time. And they've been mm-hmm. voted in as, as Hall of Fame. And then there are guys that were not necessarily really good, just good, good for a long time, but universally beloved by fans, sports writers and teammates, you know, so, you know, your Harold Baines, in my mind, in my mind, uh, your Harold Baines, your Tim Raines, they kind of fall into that category. You're really good for a really long times that, you know, your Jack Morris's and things like that. So I'm just going to frame it with that. Okay. So Kenny Lofton, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to have watched uh, baseball and this was probably my baseball watching prime was when Kenny Lofton was in his prime. So I'm lucky enough to have seen him and can vouch and verify that he was one of the most exciting players I've ever seen. Um, you want to look at it, some of his stats, four-time gold glove, um, 622 career stolen bases, um, 68.4 career wins above replacement. Um, you know, he's, he's really, really, um, you know, his stats at the time, um, stand out, um, for a, for a good number of years. Um, Kenny Lofton for me kind of falls into this category of, he was really good for a long time. So I start to think about what is Hall of Fame, you know, what makes him a Hall of Famer? What qualifications? How does he stack up to the people that are currently in is kind of what I look at. Um, and, you know, a couple of things. So you mentioned, you know, people falling off the ballot and Kenny Lofton fell off the ballot in 2013. And then I look at the class of 2013, who got voted in in 2013. And I see some people that kind of stand out to me, like Edgar Martinez. Mm-hmm. Edgar Martinez got voted in in 2013, and he has the same career above replacement uh, number as Kenny Lofton does. And Edgar Martinez didn't even play in the field. He was a DH for most of his career. Kenny Lofton has a, has a higher career above replacement than Mike Piazza and a higher 
career, uh, uh, wins above replacement than Craig Biggio, both of whom were two of the top vote getters that year. And Kenny Lofton got like 3% of the vote. So sometimes, sometimes you just have to scratch your head at these baseball writers and wonder what in the world are you thinking? And maybe Kenny, I, you know, I don't know, I don't remember this, but maybe Kenny Lofton just didn't endear himself to the baseball writers and we know what kind of a fickle bunch they are. Um, but, but, you know, he, he just, you know, for whatever reason, so another thing I like to look at, and, you know, we're big fans of baseball reference um, and ba baseball reference does this cool little feature where they, where they look at a couple of things. And one of the things they look at is a player seven year peak period and what their war was their wins above replacement during that seven year peak period. And for an outfielder, uh, the average Hall of Famer has a seven-year peak period war of 44.7. And Kenny Lofton's was at 43.4. So right there, you know, right really close to there. But, I mean, Kenny Lofton played for like 20 years. He played for a long time. So if you're asking me uh, if Kenny Lofton should be in the Hall of Fame based on what's currently in, I'm going to say yes. But in general – in Leroy's mind of what the Hall of Fame should be, the answer would be no. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So a yes and a no from Leroy, but mostly a yes. <laughs> Justin, Kenny Lofton, Hall of Fame or not? That's, that is a tough one. I do have to somewhat agree with Leroy with like what he said about, you know, being on the fence. And this is especially a guy we haven't seen since 2007 was when he retired. You know, it, the longer a player goes without getting that voted in, it, it's – harder for them to get in unfortunately a lot of times you see like these players pass away whatnot and then they kind of you know grab the attention of these voters again but for a guy like Kenny Lawton that was just very 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 solid for a long time I think it was 91 to 07 so it's that 17 17 full seasons there's just a lot of numbers here that you see when when I hear the hall of fame what i believe that to be is you you must be one of the best at your position in your respective time period you know you're not going to go compare kenny lofton and what he did to you know jackie robinson and say he's not a hall of famer because he's not as good as jackie robinson we we know that now big thing when you you look at that there's a big part of the hall of fame in both both this is a big thing and you know baseball and football is looking at how they stacked up to the time that they played in. When you look at Kenny Lofton and the time he played, especially as Leroy was saying in his prime with the Indians, you know, he played on a couple of those real good Indian teams, one that beat the Orioles in the championship series. And then, you know, eventually making the world series next year. I mean, he was simply one of the best players in, in the league. Then and you'll get something that we don't see at all anymore. Now stolen bases from 92 through the next five seasons, he had at least 60 stolen bases in all of those seasons. I, that's, to me, that's incredible. That's something we do not see now here. Um, the one, the only thing that I get here, I think is an interesting stat to look at with him that does, you know, turn me off a little bit with him is the OPS and the OPS plus. Now we know in defense, he was a fantastic defense outfielder. was always very fast. Um, you know, he was always a threat on the base path. But the thing was, he wasn't always on base all that much, you know. And when we look at today where, you know, this is kind of your average on base percentage. Now, then that it was a little different. I would think to stack up against his times, you you would like it to see it be a little higher. When I look at these OPS pluses, for anyone that doesn't know, that's a measurement of OPS that is, you know, um, regulated across the league. It, it basically puts any player in the same stadium, you know, hitting in a fair situation as we know a lot of players 
could have played in better stadiums to hit their whole career, but he never went over 45% higher than the league average at any point in his career. When you look at some of these players today that are your hall of fame players and like Mike Trout and a lot of these other hitters, their OPS pluses are, are much, much better than that. Now also numbers don't mean most on the field as he a big part to me again was the leadership that he was on a couple of those really good Cleveland Indian teams as well. And I do think that plays a big part, but for me personally, I would say no, because over the stretch of his career, a lot of his numbers did drop off, you know, later in his career, especially when he started moving around playing with a bunch of different teams. So here with Kenny Lofton, I do have to say no on that one, in my opinion. Okay. So we got a yes and a no for the first player on hall of fame or no, that was one player, uh, everyone listening out here. We have four more to go. Uh, let's try to bring this in and get this to a nice time so we can finish the show on time. All right, second player, Todd Helton, the big Colorado first baseman. Justin, I'm going to let you go first. Is Todd Helton the Hall of Famer or not? Nah? I want to say yeah with this one. I remember, Jared, we had that conversation a couple of weeks ago, and we were just talking about all these underrated players we could think of. We both thought of – Todd Helton immediately. He is a product of a guy that was stuck in Colorado for the entirety of his career. And that was a, a very long time. When you look at him, someone with the career wins above replacement was 61.8. He has almost 400 home runs, a career batting average of 316 over a stretch of was 15 years. That is very, very impressive to do because not only does that show you're a good hitter, that showed you were a great hitter very consistently. And, you know, that is a very important thing. And then, you know, you look at some of these other numbers. I mean, this man used to hit 40, almost 50 doubles the first six, seven years of his career. Like, like it was nothing. That's just, you know, that is an incredible stat. And when, again, when you compare it to today in this strikeout or hit home run league, uh, a guy like that would absolutely take a, the league by storm, you know, at the moment that we're in right now. Um, Again, another guy just had the stretch of all-star seasons, just one after another and after another. You know, he was on that team in 07 when the Rockies went to the World Series. He's a big part of that team next to Troy Tulowitzki. Um, unfortunately, I almost still think he is underrated even in this aspect, especially today, as it's been, you know, a decent amount of time since we've seen Todd Helton play. I do think, I do think he, personally, I think that is one that should be in the Hall of Fame. He's got the three gold gloves, shows he's a great defense, along with the four silver slugger awards, which just shows all around from front to back, plate to hit or hitting to fielding. He was one of the best players in his respective time. And again, like I said, that is what, in my opinion, puts you in the Hall of Fame. So Todd Helton, for me, will be my first. Yes, I do think he uh, he should be a Hall of Fame. Because heaven forbid if he played on some better teams and, you know, better situations throughout his career than being in Colorado for so long, we might be talking about this as, already a hall of fame guy you know so Leroy I want to know what you think here yeah Todd how, well you know you you mentioned one thing you know if you played on some better teams than playing for Colorado while and while I understand that let's remember he played in Colorado so um yeah, you, yeah. you know so 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 Todd Helton's kind of a tale of of two careers maybe his first 10 years um if, if we were basing this conversation off of his first 10 years, I'd say absolutely no question. Um, his first 10 years, he averaged 28 home runs and a 332 batting average. Um, his war per season was five. And then he fell off. 
<laughs> his last six years, he had a 279 batting average and averaged 11 home runs per year with a 1.2 war uh, per year. So he really fell off a cliff after year 10. Um, and, and, you know, let's, I don't want to qualify everything with the, every player that comes up for Hall of Fame consideration uh, that played a majority or all of their career in Coors Field, but um, Todd Helton's numbers uh, home and away are very significant. Um, at Coors Field, uh, Helton batted 345 away in his career. He batted 287. That's a 60-point difference. Uh, he hit 227 home runs in Coors Field and hit 142 away. He hit 50 left, less doubles away from Coors Field, and this is with relatively the same number of plate appearances. So Todd Helton was really good. He was a really good player that was significantly insisted by his home ballpark at a time when we didn't have the, uh, whatever the cryogenic chambers or whatever they're putting, uh, they're putting balls in now. So, yeah. um, you know, Todd Helton, uh, I hate to punish a guy or I wouldn't necessarily want to punish a guy if I was a voter, uh, based on their home field. Uh, but you know, to be honest, if this were a true hall of fame player, um, that played half his career in Coors Field, his numbers would be even much better. So I, I would say no. Okay, so we haven't disagreed, or we have disagreed on both players so far from each person, and we're going to see how that turns out for another former Rocky who's now on a new team later on in his career, Nolan Arenado. We're going to see how he fares uh, without the Coors Field effect. All right, guys, third player out of five here. Our first pitcher, Andy Pettit. Long time Yankee. He was on the Astros too. Leroy is Andy Pettit a Hall of Famer? Oh, Andy Pettit. <sighs> um, th this was this one was actually pretty easy for me. Whereas Todd Helton, Kenny Lofton, I kind of went back and forth for each. Um, but Andy Pettit's got two things going against him. Uh, one, he's he's got that stench of steroids on him, right? Mm -hmm. um, and two, he just wasn't that good. I mean, yeah. to be quite honest, he wasn't that good. So, so just a couple of quick things about Andy Pettit. His career ERA was 3.85. If he were to get into the Hall of Fame, he would have the second highest ERA of any pitcher in the Hall of Fame behind Jack Morris. And Jack Morris is not a Hall of Famer in my mind. Um, he only struck out 6.6 .6 per <clears> nine. Um, you know, his seven-year peak, his uh, war was 34.1. The average for a Hall of Fame pitcher is 50, so he's well below that. Um, yeah, that's a that's an easy no for me for Andy Pettit. Okay, easy no. Justin, are you an easy no for him as well? Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with that as well. I mean, first off, the whole steroids thing, but I'm not even going to bring that up because, as we know, it was never proven. So you, you can't hold that against him. But what you can hold against him is a career 385 uh, ERA you're you're a pitcher and what is the point of being a pitcher to stop the other team from scoring runs correct well Andy Pettit was a good pitcher but he was not great in that respect now a big thing for me is we look at Jacob DeGrom today there's two Cy Young awards with very very little wins because of his team um Andy Pettit played on some of the best teams uh, you know we've seen in a very very long time with the Yankees hit 20 wins twice only two times did he do that um, all this span from 90, 1998, you know, through 2003, when, you know, you had the, those powerhouse Yankees. And even before that, if you want to look at 95 until then, it, 
he had an average record for an above average pitcher. And now an above average pitcher is not a hall of fame pitcher. It is my point um, in saying that he's also someone who actually was a little struggle with the long ball uh, as a pitcher as well. And that's something that stuck out to me, but Andy Pettit, no, he's not a hall of famer. We've been watching MLB network speak about that one last couple of years. So I'll say no. All right. We're for our first agreement. And it was on a no for the only and pitcher. A Yankee. And a Yankee, and the only pitcher in this list. All right, we're almost we're halfway there, guys. Number four, um, the second player that is already off the Hall of Fame ballot, but should he have been a Hall of Famer, or will he eventually by the players? Uh, Justin, I'm going to let you go first. Michael Young, longtime Texas Ranger, was he mm-hmm. a Hall of Fame player or not? That that one is really tough for me. Michael Young is a guy I I don't want to say I sit here and forget about, but he he doesn't sit in your mind like a lot of other players which to me is crazy when you sit down and look at his numbers I mean this guy played in a hundred at least 150 games six or seven times that's that's incredible and this isn't a guy who was out here in the 70s and 80s where that was a normal thing you know 2000 to 2013 that is relatively what we see baseball as now you know a little more than a couple of these players that we're talking about but he was just someone that what I remember, man, that guy could hit. Like, no matter who was pitching, he was up and bad. He 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 was hitting. He wasn't going to hit 60 home runs a year, and he wasn't going to drive in 130 runs, but he was going to hit, and he got on base. And that is a very, very important important thing, especially as a as a player like this who's playing every day. Uh, it's a, you know, played a lot of shortstop, middle infield. You're getting a lot of at-bats. For him to be able to produce like that and over the span of his career to still sit at a 300, Batting average, I think, is pretty good. But look at the rest of that. 185 home runs, that's not that's not great. You know, the 2,300 hits, that's pretty impressive. He's less than 700 away from 3,000, which, as we know, if you hit that, you're, you're probably going into, you know, the Hall of Fame right away. But for me, it's just – I think he's just a guy that, that never really stuck out too much. You know, he was just very – he was – perfectly mr consistent for a while but i don't think he was ever mr superstar you know and that's a big thing you need and then you look at this time period he was playing with people like Derek jeter and stuff like that and when and tortulowitzki or all these other great shorts have you talk about are they the best at their position at that time period i i don't believe so i think this is a guy that definitely should get more talks about it than he does but no i don't i don't believe he is are you Leroy Hall of Famer or not, man? Yeah. Michael Young. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with Justin here. I mean, if you just take away his name, because we know his name, because you know why he played so damn much. Yeah. <laughs> if you take away his name. He was always playing. At, yeah. If you look at his stats, 15 home runs, oh, it's 162-game average, 15 home runs, 300 batting average. There is nothing special about that. 300 batting average is great and all, but there's, it's not like, wow. Those are those are Asdrubal Cabrera numbers, you know? I was going to say, that's the, about J.J. Hardy numbers yeah, right there, yeah. actually. Just nothing nothing know? special about him. He, he did He collected a lot of hits. But he also collected a lot of plate appearances. I mean, he was mm-hmm. he was, he was at, at, at bat 700 times a year at least. Um, if you look at his seven-year peak, um, his war over that seven-year peak was about 21.4. Uh, the average for a shortstop in the Hall of Fame is 43. So he was half of that. Um, you know, he was only 700 hits away from 3,000. But um, 
that's that's at least four or five more years right for him you know at that point in his career so yeah that, that's that was pretty simple for me a, a simple no i will say though this is one i want to point out with him though his defense was always very very good but unfortunately just in baseball for some reason being half of the game defense does sometimes you know go by the wayside to the hitting but even with that yeah Last one, guys, on Hall of Fame or not. This one's going to make me mad. Yeah, I know this one's going to make a lot of us mad, being Orioles fans here. Uh, Mark Teixeira. I'm going to let Leroy go first on this one. You know, Maryland guy, but, you know, he chose another route. Uh, Leroy, what do you think about Mark Teixeira? The year is 2009, and Mark Teixeira is about to sign with the Orioles and lead them to the promised land. And I was so excited. Because Mark Deshera was a guy I just liked. I rooted for. Um, I watched, you know, local guy. And, uh, you know, he was the guy that I would draft every year by fantasy draft. And for good reason. He was good. Um, and he was going to come to the Orioles in 2009 and, and turn, this, turn this team around. And he signed with the damn Yankees. Uh, so, you know, Mark Deshera is an interesting case. You know, I talked earlier about guys that were, that were great, uh, guys that were really good for a long time. Mark Teixeira was great for a period of time, but that period of time just was not very long. Yeah. From 2003 till 2011, this man averaged 35 home runs a year while batting 281. Uh, his war was 4.9 per year. Um, and then like, like Mr. Helton, he fell off a cliff from 2012 to 2016. Those damn Yankees got what they deserved. And Mark Teixeira batted 229 with 19 home runs at a 1.3. Uh, war per year and of course we know injuries really sapped him of of his, his everything really and it's a shame um you know you know he's just you know we talk about i talk about the uh, seven-year war um and he did have a period where it was there you know it was close to to what it would be unfortunately it was just fleeting for for him and um yeah i, I would say no for for, for Teixeira. all right justin i'm ready for this answer is mark um, Teixeira hall of fame or not nah? this one's always tough for me you see you grew up you know I, I remember back then and I was young in 2009 and hearing about this guy when we were young we don't oh we'd like Mark to share when he was in Texas and all that before he came to New York you know he grew up in Maryland I think he's from Annapolis he went to school I can drive to his old high school in like 15 minutes right now um but with that being said that has nothing to do with my opinion on him as a player and being in the Hall of Fame the, thing with Mark to share for me is it, he used to walk a, a crap and there was a couple years where he almost had as many walks as strikeouts which for a big home run hitting guy that is something incredible but he still really only hit home runs beyond that he's not a guy that was a great situational hitter um you know he wasn't the guy when you had down to your last out and you needed someone to get on base uh, you know besides these walks he really wasn't that guy defensively. He was pretty decent, but then later in his career, from what I remember, just played a lot of DH as well and played DH in a Yankee stadium that supported power hitters. You know, again, the stadiums are built fairly enough that it makes sense. But when you look at him, he never really was eye opening with his batting average. He had a couple years. He was around 300, a little bit under two, 280 is a good batting average, but no, that is not a, uh, Hall of Fame average. Yes, he had a lot of home runs. He had a great OPS, but again, a big part of that did come from the walks. If you take out a fraction of those walks and not even say you say he'd strike out in that in those uh, plate appearances as well, it 
his his OPS and career OPS would be a lot lower um, than it is. And then for what it's worth, again, I, I like going back to this. Was he the best in his respective time period in that position? Absolutely not. I don't think that's a question, and that plays a big part of that. And then, of course, when you're playing on a lot of these good Yankee teams, as you know, he was first – I think that was the first year he was with the Yankees when they won that World Series – um, he also had a lot of help around him. There was a lot of players on that team you didn't want to pitch to. Eventually, you got to pitch to Mark Teixeira, and then you're playing in Yankee Stadium 81 times a year. Um, seven to ten of his home runs at home every year I, would be flyouts in a lot of other stadiums. And what Leroy was talking about here with an average of hitting 35 home runs a year, a big part of that is being, you know, that kind of hitter and, you know, where he where he played. So I – I say no. I mean, he's under 2,000 hits in his career and almost 7,000 at-bats. That's something, if you're looking at a Hall of Fame player, especially one that's known for hitting, you'd think that would be a little higher. Um, 268 average all-time, that's not bad. Again, that's not Hall of Fame. The only number here that sticks out to me for Hall of Fame numbers could be his 409 home runs. But again, in almost 7,000 plate appearances, as we talked about with a couple of these other players, he had a lot of opportunities as well so um this one i do have to say no i would say no that's okay it's all opinion based and that was hall of fame or not the first edition on the walk-off podcast and uh thank you guys that was awesome you gave some great insight there but justin i would hand it back to you but it's time for my part of the show the seventh inning stretch and as we do every week on the walk-off we start our seventh inning stretch with our weekly trivia question, Leroy is still holding the lead with three points right ahead of Justin and Davis, both who are at two. Let's see if Justin can tie or Leroy can expand the lead. Here we go, guys. Fernando Tatis Jr. hit a single in his first big league at-bat. Which pitcher served up that hit? Think about it. I remember him getting that hit, but I don't remember who was pitching. Man, this could be one of many. His first hit came on March 28th, 2019. I think we're going to start needing the the Junior Jeopardy edition of these. (laughs) I'm going to stay in division. um, Because, you know, the, the chances are that it would be most likely in the division and I'm going to say Walker Bueller and I've, it's just an absolute guess. Hey, Leroy's locked. Justin, what do you hmm. think? I mean, I do want to say it's in the division, especially in March. Cause that was right at the beginning of the season. Possible. They're probably playing the Dodgers. I want to say Kershaw for whatever reason. I feel like I know it's a, like a, a pitcher. We, we know, you know what I mean? It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Rich Hill up there. I'm pretty sure. Right. Probably Ubaldo Jimenez. You guys are just triggering me all day over here. (laughs) He's he's giving up hits in retirement. (laughs) Well, Justin, this might trigger you a little bit more because you both are wrong. It was against Madison Baumgartner. Baumgartner that uh, back when he was still on the San Francisco Giants his last year with before the that giant contract and he forgot how to pitch. Yeah, you know, that's, that's right. That <laughs> name crossed through my mind and I just tossed it out because wasn't he was he an answer to a question last week or the week before? 
He might, yeah, he might have been. That's why been. I threw it. I was like, ah, we're not going to do that two weeks in a row. Hey, anything <laughs> can happen with the trivia questions. We it's are on a true. losing streak, guys. We need to get you guys back on the board. Uh, I need to get some easier questions, it seems like now. <laughs> but yeah, Madison Bumgarner gave up Fernando Tatis Jr.'s first hit in the majors on March 28, 2019, with the Giants. All right. That was a trivia question. Nobody got it right. It's okay. You know, we'll deal with it for now. <laughs> Here is your seventh inning stretch. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the seventh inning stretch. All right. Well, both the American and National Leagues saw a no-hitter within the same week as Joe Musgrove of the San Diego Padres and Carlos Rodon of the Chicago White Sox both hurled their first career no-nos. Both pitchers ruined their perfect game bids with hit by pitches. Man, that's rough. Musgrove would make history with his no-no as it was the first in Padres team history. So congrats to Joe and Carlos on that fantastic feat. Man, two no-hitters in one week. How lucky are we in the 2021 season already? All right, the Diamondbacks have signed outfielder Josh Reddick to a minors deal. The former World Series champion with the Houston Astros will receive $750,000 in guaranteed salary if he makes the team's major league roster, and that is a good possibility. Okay, we got some injury notes here. A lot of DL stints coming. The Giants placed right-hander Johnny Cueto on the 10-day injured list with a grade one latch strain. The Blue Jays have placed right-handers Ross Stripling and Jordan Romano on the 10-day injured list. And the Braves, man, they have a lot of people on their injured list, mm -hmm. including their ace, Max Freed, Drew Smiley, and young center fielder Christian Pache. And Aristides Aquino has been placed on the 10-day injured list by the Cincinnati Reds for having a handmade issue. Uh, hopefully he'll be back soon because the Reds are leading the division in that NL Central. It's pretty crazy to think about. But somebody else in the NL Central we have to talk about. We can't end the stretch without talking about Justin's guy, Yadier Molina, as he caught his 2,000th career game behind the plate this past Wednesday. Yadier became just the sixth catcher in MLB history to reach such a mark. So congratulations, Yadier, from all of us at the Walk Off Podcast. Justin, back to you, my friend. I want to say one thing real quick before uh, we move on there. You know, we sat here and talked about the Hall of Fame or not. Saying we talk about these players playing all the time and consistently. Do you know how hard it is to catch 2,000 games? And not only to do catch 2,000 games, but do it at the quality of play and, you know, the caliber of play that Yachty has always done it for, and he's just still doing it. It's incredible to me. So congratulations to him. I've been waiting two months for my cream – Cardinal surgery to come and it's still not here it's hoping to be here by then but you guys will be sure to see it um as soon as that comes in but we're going to move on here to another uh, pretty popular play and we're going to talk about something that's really concerning a lot of us here and a lot of baseball fans this is the MLB just going after Trevor Bauer um it seems like ever since he was handed that Cy Young Award last year. There's just been controversy swirling around him. Um, we know the kind of person Trevor Bauer is. We know he's very public, very open to what he says, very active on social media. Uh, Rob Manfred doesn't really like that too much. Now, a big reason he is going after Trevor Bauer here is uh, allegations of Trevor Bauer using foreign substances on his balls when he's pitching. Now, this is something that is not a secret. We know Trevor Bauer is doing it. Um, he's told us he's doing it. Uh, there's actually a really good video I watched about him 
from a couple years ago when he was still in Cincinnati. I believe this is when he was first traded over there. And, uh, you know, his average spin rate is X amount rounds per minute. I'm not exactly sure what it is. But he's talking about all these players, talking about people like Garrett Cole, which, again, you know, you know, the tension between the two of them dating all the way back to UCLA. He's saying it's physically impossible to reach spin rates like that without a foreign substance. He sat there, he researched it. He tried to throw all his pitches, all these different kinds of ways, and uh, he could not do it. And he said, one inning, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take some pine tar out my glove, and I'm going to put that on the ball when I'm pitching. Magically, in that one inning, his spin rate almost tripled. I think he might have actually struck out the side in that inning. It was incredible. And he said, okay, well, watch this. And he went back out without any pine tar, and his spin rate went right back. So it's a really interesting thing because they're going at the guy that is actually bringing it forth to the league. This is something happening all around the league. Every there, There is not a pitcher that is not doing it. You, you look at all these guys, they will have the pine tar in their arm. I remember Matt Barnes in the World Series in 2018. You... His right arm was shining and blinding me on the TV from all the pine tar on his arm, and he's in the World Series. But then the MLB is so enthusiastically going after Trevor Bauer, who is doing better things for baseball than Rob Manfred has ever done since he took the job. So I just think that's a it's a very interesting thing that's going on. Do I think anything's going to come from it? No, because when it does come down to it in the end, we can go and see almost every starting pitcher doing that, not even starting pitcher, pitchers in general. I pointed this out to you guys a couple weeks ago in that opening series with uh the Orioles in Boston I'm sitting there watching it John Mead just going in his glove for something then you watch some dirty curveball coming out of his hand but that point being is it's a part of pitching you're doing all these things to the balls making it so much easier to hit the ball and hit it farther and this and that I mean pitchers need to be able to pitch what is the essence of the game I'll ask both of you we've been told this since we're young baseball is about pitching when you're doing everything to make it harder for pitchers, uh, you can't really, you know, be surprised that something like this is happening. And just because of, you know, Trevor Bauer and his public figure and Rob Manfred's animosity toward him for being an awesome human being and a pretty good pitcher, uh, he's going directly at him. And it's, as you can see my emotion, I think it's a pretty bad sight for baseball not for Trevor Bauer not for the rest of the pitchers but this is something they need to sit down with this guy and figure out you know so before I keep going because I, I will go all day about this I'll go to you Leroy and let you go the rest of the time <laughs> oh Trevor Bauer you know t- Trevor Bra- Bauer brings a lot of this stuff on himself right I agree that, I agree look at look at me mentality uh, if I could can I just quote the eloquent words of the w- renowned 21st century poet Lil Wayne. <laughs> Real G's move in silence like lasagna. <laughs> and Trevor, Trevor Bauer just sign, shines a spotlight on himself with every tweet he sends out. Did, did Leroy <laughs> just quote Lil Wayne? I love that, that was fantastic. <laughs> but that's the thing. You know what? If Trevor Bauer's doing something illegal and by his own words, he's insinuating that he might be, shut up about it. If you've got something to say to Major League Baseball about what's going on in baseball, tap on Rob Manfred's door or your or your uh, manager or your owner and say, look, something's going on here. And, you know, I don't buy this. I'm going to prove it by doing it myself. 
something's going on here. And I think you need to look further into it. Instead, he just shines this spotlight on himself because he is, a, he is an attention grabber, right? He loves attention. And he shines a spotlight on himself. And it just, you know, it just brings more attention upon himself. If, he, if he's really trying to rid baseball of something that, let's face it, doctoring the baseball has been around for ever ever and, exactly. I, and i don't know that we'll ever truly get rid of it out when i was a kid <laughs> uh, if you have it if you guys have never seen it if our if our uh folks listen have never seen it go watch the video of uh one of the necro brothers phil or joe is pitching and uh he's he's accused of uh of using a, a nail file on the ball. I don't know if you guys have seen it. And the umpires come, they surround the pitching mound. It's it's on YouTube. You got to check it out. And he's going, no, I didn't do anything. And they ask him to empty his pocket. It's, and he empties his back pocket. And he just kind of tosses this, this nail file. I know what you're talking about. And it's, yep. and it's, you know, as plain as day. And, you know, people kind of laugh it off at the time now you know baseball is bigger business today and you know salaries are higher and it's and it's more serious or whatever but um you know if if baseball really wants to get rid of doctoring the baseball that's fine but and and it shouldn't be hard to do with cameras on everything you do right now um you know it it, it would be easy to do without trevor bauer kind of trying to make a spectacle of it and you know if i i i hate rob manfred just as much as you guys but if you're going to try to embarrass someone they're going to come after you and you should expect that now i want to say one thing with that well i have i have two things to say but first i'm going to respond to that last so you're come you're completely right Lee he 100 brings it um upon himself but that being said if Okay, so you, you, you're a teacher, Leroy. Think of it this way. If you have five kids that are all sitting there breaking the same rule, but if kid number three in the middle is telling you he's breaking the rule, who are you going to go after? You're going to go after that third kid, right? But here's the thing. You still have to go after everyone else. If you want to sit here and go after Trevor Bauer for this and say what he's doing is wrong and cheating, then there is a lot of arms in this league that you need to go after. Like I said, we were sitting there watching the Oriole game and you could see John Means doing it. I remember a couple of years ago, Brian Mattis getting in trouble and ejected mid-game having the pine tar on his head. So that goes to prove it is easy to stop. But the thing is, um, like I said, pitchers need to hit, and it's exciting. Jared, why did we sit there and watch that L.A. Dodgers game at midnight the other night? Because Trevor Bauer, Bauer was, was pitching. pitching. Because yep. Bauer was pitching. He went seven innings, gave up one hit, struck at like nine. I swear that he has that odd curveball. The thing was going from the top corner of my TV screen to the bottom corner. More like and close, that's, by the way. It, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I do think that's a big part of it. Now, do you need to cheat to be exciting? No. But a big part of baseball that is the reason a lot of people don't like watching is these pitchers sometimes just seem like they're up there throwing batting practice. And as exciting as home runs are and hitting is, and it's great, but when you're just seeing that home run or strikeout over and over, it's all about the batter. Um, no one wants to watch that, but then when you watch this guy go up there after tweeting the Ronald Acuna and say, I'm going to strike you out with one eye open and one eye closed, and he comes out and he does exactly that, like, that's incredible, and I think baseball needs more of that. I don't think it's so much Trevor Bauer needs to tune down as I think other players need to tone up, you know. I think Trevor Bauer is kind of exemplified because the MLB is just not social in that aspect like other sports. Um 
it, it, it always just reminds me of you, this would be a good example for you, Lewis, that Deion Sanders, you coming out into that draft is probably the best self-marketer of all time. That's really all Trevor Bauer is doing, mm-hmm. but he's slated as a bad guy for doing it while everyone else that is doing the wrong things that he is are being ignored because he's not doing the other things that the league just doesn't like, like his vlogs and him being very vocal on Twitter with his agent and, you know, his funny shenanigans on the mound. Him doing that stuff to me is a bat flip for a pitcher, in my opinion, you know. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I had an analogy in my head earlier today on this very topic. And um, there was a time in my life for for several years when I was an assistant principal in a middle school, Uh, probably at the same time you guys were in middle school or even (laughs) even before you guys. You guys were probably in a way to date yourself, Leroy. (laughs) Whatever. I don't care. (laughs) I I do that every day with this gray beard. but uh, but I, I, if you know anything about assistant principals in middle schools, your number one job is discipline. And I had a, yeah, yeah. And I had a, I had a kid who who coincidentally I, I still uh, communicate with today and and follow him and he follows me and we talk all the time. But uh, at the time, um, he was getting in trouble a lot. Nothing major, but just a lot of little little dumb stuff. And and I, I never forget having him in my office and him saying to me, "You're targeting me." you're targeting me. And he said, so-and-so Justin does a lot worse stuff than I do. And he does more of it, Mm. but he never gets in trouble. And I said, look, here's the thing. Justin is sneaky about it. And he's quiet. Exactly. You are out here doing dumb stuff and you're flamboyant about it. And you're telling everybody you did it. Of course, you help me, help me catch Justin. That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but if you're advertising the stuff you're doing, I'm going to catch you. And I don't know whether uh, that talk meant something and he changed his life and changed his behavior or whether he just started being sneakier about it, but he hardly ended up in my office after that. <laughs> That's I just a think it, very good re- point. Really quickly before we end the show, guys, I just think if you're going to ban substances on baseballs, do it. Like, don't fiddle around. Are you going to do it or are you not going to do it? Because yeah. when was the last time you guys saw the umpire crew go to the pitcher's mound and eject somebody for having something on their glove or on their wrist or whatever? Brian Mattis. That's Brian the last Mattis, one I can think of. Uh, Michael Pineda had it on his neck and mm-hmm. Will Smith had it on his arm, I believe. I don't remember the last time somebody really went out there and did it. So if you're going to do it, do it. I will say Manfred has, and not just Manfred, the entire league, MLB, Major League Baseball, have been after Trevor Bauer for the longest time now on his vlogs. He's gotten so many letters saying that if you don't stop doing this, if you don't stop wearing that, if you don't stop promoting this, you're going to get suspended. So he's worn different belts, socks, shoes that apparently have not been approved, quote unquote, approved by major league baseball. So this is just another thing. And yes, Bauer is a show off. We can all agree that he likes to show off Mm -hmm. a lot and that's okay. And then that's just his style. And whether you like it or not, he does it and he does it and he backs it up. At least the past two years, he's backed it up. So that's what I have to say about Trevor Bauer. I personally love his vlogs. I think they take you deep into the world of baseball and everything in between. So I love his vlogs. I like him. Don't like the choice he made by going to the Dodgers. But guys, tonight, while we end the show here, the first matchup of the year, Dodgers at Padres tonight. I am so excited for this. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, like we said, that Trevor Bauer guy, that's some um, some must-see TV. You definitely don't want to miss that. And coming off his last start, me and, me and uh, 
Jared sat there and watched. God, he he was just you watch him like that and you think like go do your dance you you do you do what you want you know do the mcgregor strut off the mound do it he does that little i like i don't know what is that to mcgregor story looks like he's doing the bernie off the mound but that's great i like <laughs> i like seeing that from a guy like that um he's going to get beat up eventually that's the thing that's and one of my biggest things with this is um even with these doctored balls you're still gonna get beat up you know we're and it's mm-hmm. it's gonna happen and the potter is probably a, a good threat you know, to do that. But we're going to have to keep a very close eye on this Trevor Bauer situation and see if it even escalates into anything else. Personally, I don't think we see anything that's going to happen greatly during the season, unless it's, you know, going to the mound and pulling that player off the mound and suspending him on the spot. But something I don't think is going to change um, for the moment. They're going to also keep playing with the baseball also before they stop a pitcher from doing it. They're going to see if they can make a baseball that, you know, kind of counteracts that. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how it goes this season with the, the more dead baseball, maybe see if that, you know, stops players from needing to do it as they purposefully raise the stitches on these new baseballs as a, I think was a clear point from the MLB to try and stop these uh, people doing it without having to come out and saying, you're doing this and we're doing this to stop you. So definitely will be interesting. But for today, you know, that is all we have for you. We had a, a lot to talk about. I'm a, got a little excited over here talking about Trevor Bauer and my guy Yachty, but that's all in good fun. I thank both of you for uh, joining me here today. As always, it's fun, but for now it is time to walk it off.